been a hunting these woods since I was seven years old. This shotgun was my granddad's, now it's mine to hold. I ain't never hurt no one except a turkey each year. And come Sunday morning, I'll be bending God's ear. Guns and religion, religion and guns, like air and water. Howdy everybody, Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 72 of Justified Pursuit. It is great to be here with you. Alongside, as always, we've got uh, my friend of over 20 years, the good counselor, Chisholm Cook. Uh, You guys had some awesome family stuff happen over the weekend. Let's start there, man, on a high note, because of course, talking about this country and the direction it's going is nothing but bad. <laughs> going to bring us down. So, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Thanks. Um, we did. So first, your daughter shot a turkey in the face. Yep. Got that done on Good Friday evening. Uh, yeah, that was sweet. It's been uh, other than hunting the dumbest turkey in North America mm-hmm. uh, down in Raymondville uh, with your friends. For Mossberg, it is the. It has been a, a a a bit of a struggle this season. I haven't been out a whole lot, but I don't know four hunts, one of which we didn't get up to like ten o'clock in the morning. Uh, uh, to not produce anything other than birds talking to me and not wanting to show me their heads. Um, finally got it done Friday evening. Uh, could have shot a big tom. We had a big tom come in. And he hung up right behind a bush. Mm. And I don't know. I still don't know really what happened. I made a little noise trying to grab a camera, which I, I should have just froze and let her sit and wait for the wait, wait for him to show his head. But I don't think he liked the decoys because they were frozen still. I'm not sure he liked the pop-up. Have you ever heard of turkeys getting weirded out by a pop-up? No. I mean, maybe maybe where we live in Texas. But like you, you see guys in the Midwest hunt them out of pop-ups in cornfields all the time. I know, and that's why I just assume like it doesn't bother them one bit. But then I think like, are those pop ups out there all season? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Like I know if you throw a pop up in a area where a deer frequents, it's going to spook them. But if you leave it there for a week, they don't care at all. Right. And I don't know why that wouldn't necessarily be the case with turkey too. But anyway, <clears throat> either way, um, I mean, because he came in and booked it pretty quickly, and then a hen came in. She didn't like what she saw either and booked it. I don't think she pecked around. And then two Jakes came in and they booked it. And then finally two gobblers came in and she got a shot at one of them. So anyway, it was good activity. Called in some hens, called in some coyotes. It was fun. And then, yeah, on Sunday. Well, hold on. Let me interject before we get to that highlight. Uh, I also had a successful hunting trip this past week. I took my friend Dylan, who's you you probably remember from college. Oh, yeah. He hung out with us quite a bit. Um, but we've been friends from like our moms met nursing us at a church party. So I always say we're friends from the teat and <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, no nope, brothers. He's been dove hunting with me and he's been turkey hunting with me. That was like five years ago. We didn't have any luck on the turkey. So I take him to the turkey place that I leased. We stayed there for a day and then we texted, uh, Eric King, another one of our fraternity brothers and said, Hey, um, Remember you told me you you bought that ranch? He's done very well in pharmaceutical sales. Uh, Dylan and I aren't seeing. Oh, that was Eric's place. Yeah. So I said oh, cool. we're uh, 
we're on our way to your ranch just kind of joking and he goes okay <laughs> so he said we're going for easter anyway so he said what time will you be here and i said ah we're like three hours away we're we're, we're coming now he said perfect so uh cool. we didn't find any turkeys there either they had seen some but we didn't see any or hear any uh so dylan shot an axis doe his first ever kill of anything other than dove and uh, we had a spot in stockholm we're sitting at a feeder they didn't come to that one. Eric and his son were driving around. He's like, hey, there's a bunch of them over in this part of the ranch. All free range, low fence, really cool. So we actually had to spot and stalk him, and he had to lay down and shoot him prone at uh, 200 yards. He didn't know, awesome. though, that you're supposed to say, okay, I'm going to shoot now. Because I said, "Are you? do you see the one, the doe's got her head? She's turning her head, licking herself. And he's like, yes. And then, boom. And I was like, oh, I had actually moved the binos off that. and was like looking at the rest of the deer. <laughs> but you could hear the thud. Whoa. And I was like, you definitely hit her. I don't know where you hit her. He's like, I felt pretty good about it. And uh, yeah, she didn't go 20 yards. So didn't go 243. So that was pretty cool to, to get a, a lifelong friend, his first big game animal ever. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially and he was delicious access. Yeah. And he, I asked him, I said, was your, were you nervous? Was your adrenaline going through the roof? And, you know, just like Henry says, I was, I was shaking, you know, so all that good awesome. stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, if the first one you ever shoot doesn't get you a little shaky, you might need to seek the attention of a, of a psychiatrist. Yeah. So back. Cool. To Congrats to Dylan. Yeah. Well, good hunting weekends all the way around. Yeah. Um. Anything else on your end before I get into no. medium length story? Okay. Uh-huh. Go for it. <clears throat> so, growing up, we tended we pretty much always did Easter for Easter we would go camping. Uh, with my grandparents, some of those years we had big family outings with aunts and uncles and cousins and, you know, two sets of grandparents, you know, we'd have 30 people camping together and it was always a blast. Um, that was like what Easter was for me for a long time. I mean, certainly we, I knew what it was really about. Right. But, um, you know, we went to church fairly regularly, so we weren't one of those families that only went Christmas and Easter. So since we did go somewhat regularly i guess we didn't feel like we had to go on easter i don't know um so then when my folks Boy, the priesters were out in full force at my church oh, <laughs> priesters yeah oh my gosh dude we, yeah we, are we go to the 1005 service and i was like we better get there at 9 30 oh, the priesters are coming out man <laughs> and i got i'm not kidding i was waiting in a line so long i didn't know if my family would get a seat in the sanctuary and they actually turned people away um uh, from the service there's like we're, there's no more seats sorry so yeah, yeah, that's uh, wow. But you know what? Better to be a creaster than not go at all. Right, I agree a hundred percent. Agree a hundred percent. That pretty much shows the person's a believer. They just haven't made a commitment to get there. And, you know, and it's not even just that, man. Like, I have really yeah, learned. I'm not say it shows they're a believer. I think it shows that they're interested in the conversation. Or maybe I mean, they I guess were, it, I guess gotten it, away I, from God or what, whatever it is. Uh, dude, I mean, going to church doesn't, to me, dictate whether you're a believer or not, 100% right? Like, agree. On a regular basis, because there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. Maybe the pastor's, you know, a dud. Maybe I, I've found, man, that if you don't have a community within that church, then the church isn't really anything. Right. I mean, yeah, you might be able to get a little bit of a message out of it, but it's all about the congregation and knowing people and 
feeling a part of something bigger than you and your family, right? Like that's been driven home for me. We went to that. I know I've talked about it, but that huge church in the woodlands before moving here. And, you know, it's a beautiful place and the pastors were awesome. Um, you know, because a mega church like that can recruit some really talented pastors, mm-hmm. but you know, you could walk into church every, any given Sunday and there'd be 7,500 people there or whatever it was. I think the overall congregation was 15 to 20,000 people, you know, so any given Sunday, there was probably five right. through all the different services coming in and out of the campus. And you could literally know nobody, mm-hmm. you know, and then this church that we go to now, which has a total estimated congregation of 500 we get 40 men each year to our men's retreat and roughly the same number of people for these random Thursday evening, what we call grill and chills and the skeet shoot event we have every August. Like it's, it's a real community. I met half a dozen guys my first day there and they're now some of my, not just my friends, dude, like men that I'm proud to know mm-hmm. and, and to be part of their group, you know, anyway. So, <clears throat> Mom and dad bought that ranch in 2017 and we did our first, what would it be? Four or five, I guess. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. First five Easter's uh, after they bought it there when we, you know, we have the big cross. Mm-hmm. So it made for, but at that time I sort of, well, I, I, I insisted that we would, you know, we go do egg hunting at the cross, but before we cut the kids loose to egg hunt, I would read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's resurre- you know, versions of the resurrection. So we would have a service amongst ourselves so that there was at least a reason for being there beyond just hunting Easter eggs, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a really cool place to do it. You've seen the cross. I mean, it's a special spot. Um, but this year, you know, as I get, again, more involved in this church community and the you know, men's retreat that we've talked about where I talked gave the talk uh, back in February, you know, I just felt really called to go to church this time, be there for Easter Sunday. Cause we, we do it up. Like it's a big, big deal. Uh, instead of two services, we combine them. We do it outside, beautiful hill country spring day. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, mom asked and I was like, yeah, mom, we're going to go to church this time. You know, would y'all love to like to come up? We'd love to have y'all come to church with us. She's like, no, your sister and brother-in-law are going to come down. So we'll just, we'll do our thing, but it's important. Y'all go to church. So, okay. Um, then I don't know, a little over a week ago. So this Easter Sunday was going to be a baptism Sunday, which we only do, you know, a few times a year. Um, they try to like, when people say they want to get baptized, they'll kind of schedule it and they'll knock out three or four or five, however many people want to do it mm-hmm. at a time. Of course you can get baptized anytime. If you're like, Hey, I have to do it now. Then somebody will stop what they're doing and do it. But, um, Ashley mentioned that Sarah, our third of our four daughters by age, I mean, uh, had expressed the last baptism. What they'll do is that they'll have the scheduled three or four or five, and then they'll open it up and say, anybody else? We got the water here. Spirits in the room. Anybody else want to get baptized? And Sarah had wanted to get baptized, I think, the last like two times. And Ash was like, oh, not tonight, not today, you know, but we'll, we'll do it for sure. We'll do it. You know, and she's like, I'm pretty sure Sarah's going to want to do this. Um, and I told her we would do it the next time. And I was like, awesome, you know, but she's already been baptized. All four of my children were baptized as young children, Sarah as like a, probably a one-year-old, my youngest, Emily is like a baby, baby. I gotta stop saying like, um, my older two were probably like, did it again. (laughs) 
were probably four and two ish ish when we had them baptized. But so the point being, it was not a conscious choice for any of them. You know, three of them certainly don't remember it. And I grew up Baptist, so we didn't we didn't do that. And right, a Methodist church where we do do that, but none yeah. of my kids have been baptized uh, in the Methodist church. They'll make their own decision. And I think that's the right move. Um, and, we'll and, I, and I felt, that, so I, I was raised Methodist, so I was baptized as a baby. Yeah. Ashley was raised Baptist, and she was baptized as a baby. Huh. So I guess some of them, I mean, I guess Baptists do more of a dedication. I mean, they still do that. But we're, hey, I need to is, ask her. She's told me she's been baptized. Maybe it was never, a different church. I huh? never did uh, get baptized in my church. I got baptized in, on a mission trip on the uh, Amazon River in Brazil. Right. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, I think you had told me that before, but I'd kind of forgotten until you texted me yesterday. That's uh, that's pretty neat. Um, one of the mightiest rivers on the planet. <clears throat> um, I'm glad that you didn't get attacked by a piranha or something. Talk to piranha. Oh, yeah? The, oh, delicious, by the way. Yeah. Really? Brian Hall, like we would cool. like a bluegill or something. Yeah. Just uglier nice. with those nasty teeth. But They're such tasty. vicious looking critters. Who was it that, do you remember somebody in our fraternity had a fish tank with piranhas? I would feed them those bloodworms. Well, I had a Paku, which is a cousin of a piranha. And I had a, a, a Oscar, which also lives there too. Giant fish. Looks like, but it looks like a piranha. Pretty sure yeah, these were piranha, but and I don't think it was you. It was in an apartment. I don't ever really remember. When did, you never lived in an apartment, did you? Mm-mm. I didn't think so. Yeah, this was in an apartment. I Whatever. The crappiest old rundown houses one could find in Waco, Texas. Right. <sighs> There was a lot of roaches came with them. Yeah. They got free room and board and meals mm-hmm. uh, and beer, probably still lots of beer spilled beer. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to Easter Sunday. So, I, man, I want to say at some point I had sort of heard that certain denominations and maybe even Methodists didn't really support getting baptized twice. I may be making that up. I need to look it up. Um, but my point is like going back, going back to when we had the girls baptized, I was torn about it because I was realizing I, I didn't ever make that conscious choice, but I've always been kind of getting back to that point about whether you have to go to church to be a believer. I've always believed in God and I've always believed in Jesus as my Lord and savior. Um, I haven't always lived like it by any stretch of the imagination. None of us have. Right. Uh, that's the point, right? Um, but, uh, you know, so having been baptized as a baby and, and knowing that I, I never had to have this moment where I was like, I accept Jesus as my Lord and savior. I guess I just thought that box is checked. One of these days I need to start acting like it. But when we started having the girls baptized, I, I felt like I wanted to do it again. Um, it's funny. I was telling a friend yesterday. My mother-in-law pointed something out a couple of years ago. Uh, she gave me a Christmas gift. It was like a matcha tea set, which you make matcha tea a very specific, very old, old way. It's um, you use this little bamboo whisk and stuff. And she was like, well, I just thought you would like it because you like, first of all, it's a really healthy tea. And then you, you, she's like, you really love ritual. And this is a cool little ritual. And it was like, <laughs> see how I keep doing it? I said... I realized that it was a moment where she revealed something to me that I didn't realize about myself. Yeah. 
that I do love rituals of all kinds. Um, I just, I find peace in them, right? I have my morning ritual. Um, lots of stuff like that. It's always fascinating. So anyway, you know, getting to go through that ritual experience consciously of my own volition was something that appealed to me. And also the idea of being cleansed of plenty of baggage that I, I was carrying over from over the years was appealing too. Um, but anyway, so, so, you know, going in on Sunday, we didn't put Sarah's name on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just going to let her decide whether she wanted to do that. And then Ashley told me later, cause I was working as a greeter. So they got there right before service. She told me later that on the way she had asked Sarah's big sisters if they wanted to. And Riley, I guess had had the same feeling that she might want to get baptized on her own terms too. But she'd said, but I don't know if it's today. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure yet. We'll see Riley being our oldest. So we get to that part, you know, go through a great sermon, great sermon. Um, and man, there's this, so there's this pavilion next to our church. that has got, you know, it's a covered pavilion, big, it's got basketball courts, like three, you know, it's a big rectangular pavilion with basketball courts running in the width of it. Um, and you know, behind it, it's going downhill facing West, I guess, just, oak trees like a just a field of oak trees so like from where the congregation sat they put the stage the sun was rising behind or it was up but the sun was behind us stage where the you know service was taking place and behind them was just just gorgeous oak canopy so it was just beautiful picturesque you know perfect hill country morning and um went through the baptisms and they were great and then one of Riley's friends um, from our youth group got baptized. So she ran up there during that to be there with her friend. And when that was over, the pastor asked, okay, so anybody else? And she shot her hand up and he was like, okay, well just kids, all, all you kids know, your parents have to agree. Well, we were already walking up the middle aisle because Sarah was like, yep, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we waved at John. She can get baptized. We're <laughs> bringing him up. Long and short of that is Sarah's decision led Riley and Charlotte to both Charlotte, my second daughter, Mm -hmm. to decide to do the same. And they were letting the parents of the kids that were choosing to get baptized kind of introduce their child. And Sarah is seven, same age as my girls. That's right. Yep. Sarah's seven. And the the two older ones are significantly older. So this is interesting how the younger child led the older ones it was really really cool experience really cool and i made sure to point that out to the congregation when it was her turn that Mm -hmm. this was her idea and man it's interesting because that girl talks to god like she hears god she is an antenna like she's a very feeling very empathetic child to the point where it concerns me because she's very soft-hearted and can get her feelings hurt and can get really down and stuff. And we often have to pray for God to take away worries and things, but, um, yeah, God put that on her heart out of my three. It's kind of the same deal. Really? Which one's that? Frankie. Yeah. 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 She, the the other two, I mean, they don't Henry and Stella just kind of like whatever. Yeah. She's thoughtful to the point where some days she's like, I don't want to go to school because this one thing is, bothering me so much and i'm just mm. like honey the little things in life that are out of our control 
we have to just brush them off our shoulder. Help me remember. Caught up in it. Help me remember to send you this prayer that a guy provided to me that we say with Sarah when she has something like that. Mm-hmm. We haven't had to do it in a while. I feel like it's really worked. But you basically like nail that worry to to the, to the cross mm-hmm. and and sort of surrender it. Um, I mean, it's, it's like you know. I, I do I do want to see that prayer and, yeah. and use that with her. But I mean, Aaron's reading books on how to raise what I don't think the title is like how to raise anxious daughters, but it's how to raise. It was something about like we yeah. have this issue with this girl is she thinks about things so much that it can weigh her down, like you said. And if you that was me with, um, and I'm not saying she's going to be depressed. I don't think she is, but you you think about that as a seven year old, and if at 16 you never deal with it. Then I think you create fail you, you possible failure moving forward in life. So it's like okay, well let's figure out, um, you know how to parent through this, just like you guys are, with a with a kiddo that's um, kind of a worrier. Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, there will be one of two options: you work together to figure out how to solve it, and I would contend you have to work with God to figure out how to solve it, mm-hmm. or you take a drug. And right. numb, numb them for the rest of their life. And that is not the way to go. Yeah. That is to me, I got this theory about that that I'll uh, continue to develop in my head and share at a later date. But the overprescription of antipsychotics and antidepressants and anti anxieties and SSRIs, in my opinion, has a lot to do upper. with how many Americans, uh, you know, well, those things can be a problem too. I know. And I think those are a problem too. Right now, in adults. Our age. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I know. Like, uh, this person's on Adderall. This person's on Adderall. This person's on Adderall. I mean, it's insane. But, but those aren't designed to make you numb to things. Right. I think that all of those, you know, all those other drugs that are designed to help you deal with quote, depression and anxiety are, um, if they're not intended to, they have the uh, side effect of maybe clouding your judgment such that you don't see reality that the rest of us see right you know we talk all the time about trying to show people like look at this thing that the the government just acknowledged or or whatever it would and they're like this looks like nothing to me all the people i know that do that tend to be on those drugs but there are people that are clinically depressed i mean we can't just like i'm not saying there's not into one category here i'm not saying there's not but certainly overprescribed you can't live on those things forever man at some point you have to learn it would be far better to seek help, to dive into the book, to pray about it, to find ways to strengthen your uh, emotions and your mind than to take a drug to just numb it, in my opinion. some To your point, there are some people who absolutely need that. Ideally, they can take them for a brief period of time to help them through a period, something. Nothing I ever say should be taken in terms of like black and white. And I know this and that's all there is to it. Right. But right. generally speaking, prescribing an anti-anxiety to a 16 year old, instead of trying to help that child cope with the reality of life seems we'll set them up for failure. It's, it's the easy button yeah. at a minimum, it's a at a minimum, it's, it's a the easy button. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's just a temporary fix. Yeah. And then when you know how addictive SSRIs are, man, in particular, like they kill people kill people with withdrawal it is one of the most highly dangerous addictions i mean it's up there with heroin in fact in fact according to dr jordan peterson who is himself a psychiatrist 
who himself suffered from severe withdrawals from SSRIs. It's one of only two drugs that will actually kill you from getting off of it. Alcohol and SSRIs. Mm. Heroin doesn't kill you. It just makes you so sick you wish you were dead. Mm -hmm. But you won't die from a heroin withdrawal. You will die if you're a severe alcoholic and stop drinking cold turkey, like we think my uncle might have. Of course, he abused himself for 40 years with alcohol, 30 years with alcohol at that point. So there was a culmination of things. I've never done heroin, but I've done Dilaudid when I got my my appendix out. And and like I went from in the most intense pain that I've ever been in in my life, broken bones, you know, everything else, back issues, none of it compared to appendicitis. And they gave me Dilaudid. And my wife was like, yeah, you went from like, like writhing around writhing, yeah. to woohoo, everybody, it's so great Good to stuff. see you. So is that an opiate or a lot in there? I think yeah. it's like it's a very close cousin to heroin. Right. Well, I mean, morphine, I Vicodin, all that stuff is opiate is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It was fun and I was in, I was in pain. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so anyway, so we went up there and um, our youth pastor kind of introduced us and it was cool because obviously being in his... Uh, leadership team with our youth group he was uh i've got a great relation special relationship with him and he was like moved almost to tears he was having a hard time talking by all of us coming up and riley jumped in there and wanted to go first and then i put sarah in there and i introduced her and said just so y'all know you know just like her other sisters here she's been baptized but decided that you know she, she's the one who decided she wanted to do this um the, and and all of you know and her sisters followed her lead right and did her did charlotte um, all these kids that are friends with my girls had come up. There's a big crowd around the tub. It was a full dunk in this, uh, like galvanized horse trough mm-hmm. and walking up there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. Walking up there. Um, I was thinking I probably have to do this too, since three of my four daughters are doing it and it would have been something I had thought about. It's, tugging so, at your heartstrings anyway. it's funny cause the devil was sort of in my ear thinking, ah, oh, y'all have taken up too much time. Y'all, you know, you've kind of you've stolen the show here. You, you know, you're, you're, you're holding everything up, you know, you really need to do this, you know? And I shook that crap off and I looked over at our, our head pastor and youth pastor. And I was like, Oh, I think I got to go to, I want to follow their lead. And they're like, cool, get in there. So I got in there. You're all getting fully dunked with all your church clothes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was in trousers, like, you know, dry clean only trousers and a nice, Joseph A. Bank button-down shirt for sure. <laughs> um, everybody else, I mean, that stuff's thirty bucks. It's not, you know, Joseph A. Bank's a great store, cheap, good-looking stuff. Anyway, I got baptized in the horse trough in my Joseph A. Bank shirt. <laughs> All the people who were on the schedule were given T-shirts to wear. So right. yeah, we were at the Baptist uh, church I grew up in. They, you know, it was there wasn't any. Hey, I'd like to also get baptized today. It was a set deal. These people just like right. I said it was like a, I don't know if it was bi-monthly or quarterly, whatever it was. I think it probably just depend on how many people they had that want to do it. And, uh, but they wore a robe and the pastors up in the baptism booth, you know, a uh, very formal thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, this it's is, just, um, I, I mean, it's uh, your pants, which I think is awesome. Like it was like when I got baptized <laughs> in Brazil, I didn't have any plans of doing that. It's a non-denominational country church, man. Yep. Our pastor wears a t-shirt. And like cargo pants every Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, he's in fact on stage mocked me once for being so dressed up all the time. <laughs> so anyway, and all I'm wearing is like I a, wore a blazer trousers and a button to, down uh, church on Sunday with my blue jeans and boots. Yeah. All the, uh, 
the guys that I look up to had thrown on had thrown on coats, and I was like, dang, I should put a coat on. But most of them were wearing jeans and a coat, and at least I was wearing trousers. So anyway, so I explain, you know, I got baptized as a baby too, and obviously I don't remember it, and um, wasn't a conscious choice, and so I'm going to follow my daughter's lead right now and do this too. And uh, you know, I've talked about these men that I've fallen in with. We put these pictures on our Instagram page. Do you care? Sure. No, absolutely. I think we'll do that. Folks can see them. They're really good photos of you, your family in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing, man. Um, but these guys start coming up one at a time. Like um, this, this friend of mine named Colton, who's an ox of a man. I mean, ox. He was actually one of the power team guys in college. Mm. You know, the guys that rip phone books. Mm-hmm. He comes up and grabs me by a hand. And then this gentleman named Keith, who I've come to truly love. We worked on this um kind of this mission thing last summer for a, a local lady who she volunteers and there's more about her in a second. She volunteers at our churches. We have something called the hope center, which is a you know, nonprofit that help, helps provide stuff to people in need around the community. This lady literally was living in a tiny trailer in this little bitty 10th of an acre piece of property. She has in an interesting part of the country around here that uh, she had uh, like a water hose. That was her shower and her toilet, right? She, she, she basically had nothing. Her and her husband had been like minimalist off grid people since forever. He passed away. She's like in her seventies and she would bathe outside in the wintertime, man. Um, and one of the guys in our men's group was like, we, we, sh- we need to help her. And she had this storage building, like a home Depot storage building that somebody had bought and put out there and somebody was supposed to finish out for with insulation and stuff at the start of the pandemic, they left with a third of the job done. And, you know, a year and a half later, it was still vacant. So last summer, Keith and I had built out the interior of that thing for, and really, uh, you know, we already had a, got, we already knew each other pretty well, but really had a bond after that. And he comes and grabs me by the right hand. Then this, uh, well, the first guy was one of the other guys from the youth group. He was up on my right flank with a hand on me. And then there's this Marine Corps sniper, uh, you know, three tours of duty that I met when I first, in fact, he's the reason I started going to that church because he saw me in an airport from going from Houston to San Antonio three years ago. And I was wearing a Kafaru backpack and he tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, that's a sweet Kafaru, man. Where'd you know, where'd you get, you know, how, you hunt, you know, whatever oh, you're an elk hunter. Dude, and you know my story, which I've shared here about our elk hunt being my like springboard back into a proper Christian life, right? For mm-hmm. this dude to tap me on the shoulder and want to talk about that, and he happens to mention this that he goes to church in our community. I got on that plane for that forty-minute flight, and the whole way I was like, I got to chase that dude down. I need to ask him where he goes to church, and I did. And he said, I told y'all this. I talked about this. He said Riverside. And when I told Ashley, she's like, yeah, that's where our kids go to school. (laughs) Anyway. So Sean comes up and puts a hand on me and another guy named Joe, who I've become good friends with here, you know, more recently, especially um, whose story is amazing after a 20 something year career working, like literally like a slave for Ford motor company. He quit his job. It had ruined like two relationships with his kids. And he he decided he wasn't going to let the third get ruined. All of these badass men, circle around me, dunk me. I'm like, you know, not crying my eyes out, but definitely teary eyed. Then another guy comes up and he says, this is the first time he's been to church in 20 years. 
he'd grown up in a church that church scarred him and drove him away from God. But he and his wife had just that week been driving down Bolverde road and seen our church and said, that place looks cool. We should try that this Sunday for Easter. And was so moved. He got baptized in front of everybody. And then the lady, her name is Mary. Once the service was over, I was helping load chairs in a pickup and I look over and they had just dunked Mary. So I went over to her and I gave her a big hug and she started trying to tell me that, you know, she's like, you need to know that you and your daughters are part of why I just did this. And I just pointed up, I couldn't talk. Like I was so touched. I just pointed up. She was like, she's like, I tried to leave and God told me to stay. And she's like, and I tried to leave again and God told me to stay and to go get in this tub. Um, and I literally just couldn't say a word to her. I think I said, I'm glad while I cried. So anyway, man, uh, yeah, it was an awesome Sunday. And I was thinking about it last night. Like I had this weird thing in my head that you're only supposed to go through that once. Right. Like this, you know, I'm more and more as they try to put more and more ludicrous and insane and stupid rules on us. I'm objecting to rules. Right. Uh, Jordan Peterson says he taught his children. You're free to break any rule that doesn't make sense, but you have to be willing to suffer whatever consequences come with that. Anyway, like when it came to this sort of rule that you can only get baptized once, I was letting it stop me. And then, you know, it was my seven-year-old. It was like, I want to do it. I want to do it tonight. I want to do it today. Now, like that's all there is to it. And then my sister, my daughters were like, yeah, us too. Bang, bang. So like you said, not only did she lead her older sisters, but she led me into. So anyway, man, it's awesome, buddy. It was a pretty rad Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. We went to church. It was, like I said, the creasters were there. <laughs> it was a beautiful service. And so you, you talked about being a part of the church community. And so we've been going to this church for, mm, through, gosh, it's probably two years before COVID, like four or five years, I would say. We joined the church. We're members. Our family's members of the church. And um, they... We went to the contemporary service, loved the pastor, and then as Methodist churches do. And, and we were at a different Methodist church for this. Unlike my Baptist pastor who was there and is do, he's been there since the time I was eight years old. He's do, he's actually preaching his last sermon on first week of May. He's retiring. Uh, so he's been there forever, my entire adult life. And these Methodist churches, though, once a pastor gets good enough, if he's not the head pastor, they give him his own church, transfer him out. That's happened to us twice. We have not joined a small group, though. So we just go to the service. The kids go to their thing. My daughter, Stella, wants to join the choir. Well, the choir sings. They practice at 9 a.m. on Sunday, which means now Aaron and I are, go- are after Easter, starting to take her to choir. And then what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to join a small group. So, again, just like your daughter kind of spearheaded this thing, because of That's Stella, awesome. now we're going to be joining some kind of small group. And yeah, we know some people's names at the church, but generally we're going into it with the mindset of what are we getting out of the sermon this week? Because we don't have a small group. We don't have, we're not really plugged in. We go to the occasional pancake dinner, stuff like that, but we're not yeah. on a first name basis with really anyone other than the church staff. Right. So um, because of Stella wanting to sing, now we're going to take that next step. And uh, it's funny because it's, you know, Aaron and I talked about it. We just never did it. Now we're going to have to. That's awesome, man. Um, let me throw one thing out there related to that, and then we can move on to. <laughs> I don't less, know if we should. Less... I think we, we just end this podcast, dude. <laughs> Do it, everyone. That, that's yeah. fine, too. Um, so I had given a talk <clears throat> last, last school year 
um, at the at the youth group, uh, Jason had asked me to give a talk on uh, how to it was how to grow the faith. I you know prayed a, a bunch about it, thought a whole bunch about it, um, and as it finally started to come together, I kind of had broken it down into like three stages of uh, you know life of a Christian, right? And the first one I talked about like. To begin your Christian walk, people have to Christians have to pour into you, and ideally, that's coming from your your immediate family, right? And then you know, hopefully, a church and the people of the church, right? But but you're like you're an empty vessel, kind of, right? Where church Christianity is being poured into you and laying the foundation. I described it as building a house, right? That's the foundation, and you know, that has to be done well and consistently and properly, or the whole thing can crumble, just like the foundation of a house, right? And then, so there's, <clears throat> there's sort of being poured into, and then there's a stage I'd have to look back at my notes to really see how I, f- I framed it. Cause I think the wording was a little different than what I'm coming up with right now, but basically like stage two was then it's, it becomes incumbent on yourself to continue your walk, right. To pour into your own faith through scripture and study and, you know, discipline, right to grow a deeper understanding than the sort of simple understanding that you can absorb as a child. And then we're all called to spread the word, which was the talk, you know, kind of main point. So the step three then is to grow the faith by pouring into others, you know, in one form or fashion by serving others, whether that's truly evangelizing or being a greeter or, you know, an usher or whatever it is at some point you have we're to start talking about your faith on a podcast. We're probably having listeners aren't Christians. Exactly. Living it out so that others are inspired and, and by it, are, can learn from you, it. We love everybody. We don't care if you're, I mean, I would prefer if you're a Christian, that'd be great. But if you're not, hey, uh, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. I mean, thanks for listening to us to yeah. talk about our faith. Every single time I pray, I pray for believers and non believers. Anyway, what I, but then I explained that this is not linear, right? It, it is to an extent, but each one of those things feeds the other, right? You'll continue once you're in stage two and three to have others pour into you and you'll continue to pour into others and you'll continue to do your own disciplined work. Right. And so there it's more like a circle than a, than a progression. And so it's this, it's this feedback loop. And as you grow your faith, you're going to grow the faith naturally. So I think it's so awesome that both of us have this story right now of the work we've done, making sure our kids have that foundation is circling back to us where it's helping us take to level up and take another step. You know what I mean? I mean, how ridiculous would it be if we took our kid to choir at nine and then we just left and went and got donuts or like, yeah, you just can't do that. Or like it'd be completely right. stupid. So now she's forced our hand and like, well, you, you guys have talked about going to church and, and joining a small group and now you have to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but still, but you are about it too, dude. I haven't, I've been so set with my existing friend group for so long. And I'm the kind of person that's like, I have all the friends I really need. If someone like my, like my neighbor, Mickey down the street, like, because our kids are the, the same age and we, you know, same classes and like, we've become really good friends, but he's probably the only person I'd say in like the last probably like four or five years that I've like become close with. And, um, I don't know. I just haven't sought it out. And that's oh, I know. It's kind I, of uh, scary as an adult being like, well, you know, I don't know any of these people. I'm gonna be the new guy, and uh, what's that gonna be like? I, I I'm not the type of person that needs new friends, but I do need a small group. So I guess 
for my faith and and continuing in that walk um like that's part of the deal i i i i'm at least a decade of my life up until we moved here at least and i would think about it i don't think i had added you know a single friend that that stuck i had a couple three people and, and frankly part of not maintaining those relationships definitely fall, fell on me but you know we moved they moved whatever um to uh, you know i felt i still feel like the friends that i've ha- carried from childhood you know through college etc are always going to be my friends but at the same time you know at this stage of life i think it is important that you get into a local community with people of like mind with similar and similar positions and you know church is a real good place to do that so i'm happy for you we did the same thing our our church has four pillars and one of them is life group small group basically and we had sort of ducked that one for two full years and last year a month ago i asked you and you're like oh dude i haven't been to church in like six weeks or a month or something or, or i mean a yeah. couple months it's been a been a minute yeah, I mean, hunting season. Now you're saying, well, I'm we're I'm t- making sure everyone's going on Easter, so right. You know, hunting season, I sacrifice church, and I'm starting to realize that I'm not going to keep I'm not going to be able to keep doing that. I'm going to have to figure out how to hunt and still get to church more more frequently yeah. than you know twice all deer season. Well, here's 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 the, my take on that. Um, my church a lot of time is outside. I feel closer to God. I pray more when I'm sitting in a deer blind than I probably do any other time. That's what I've said repeatedly for but three years now. That I don't think transcends into our kids. Like <laughs> I think they see God out there, but I don't think they. Re- I don't. I don't think a seven year old really understands the the brevity of 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 that experience. Nor should they. You know, I think they get probably get more out of actually going to church at that age than sitting in a deer blind. Well, and the other thing that for for me in particular is that the men that I go to church with, they hunt and fish too, but they're there. So however they work it out, they still kill deer. They still shoot birds. They get all the fun stuff done that we do, and they're still there every Sunday. And they're there at 8 a.m. when the first service didn't start till 9, helping, working, doing stuff, actively involved. So those are the men I want to be peers with. So I have to follow their lead. I'll work it out. I'm very blessed to have a place that I can go to anytime. Um, and we have good. I'll Wi-Fi. send you a picture from so. your deer blind on Sunday morning. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we're going to let this one stand alone. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's an, you know, I want to pull it on for 45 minutes. Klaus Schwab. Something about, uh, so this will just be the faith and family podcast because uh, you and your daughter's getting baptized is is a huge deal, and uh, I'm very. Those of you joining a life group against your. Well, I haven't uh, done it yet, but I will keep the you updated. You know, it's like going to the kid in the new school. Like, oh, sure, new the new couple in the in the small group. It'll be interesting. I'm I'm kind of uh, surprised. I guess is the word that you're nervous because you're one of the most outgoing dudes I know. Like I marvel at how you can just talk to anybody anywhere anytime. So yeah. But that's a you know walking into a group that's got a a history is a little different well, than you know a random stranger is, at a bar. Maybe I just haven't been. Um, I mean, I I do I I would say I'm the spiritual head of the household, but I've I've failed here obviously because we have been married for almost 15 years and we have not made that a priority. 
So maybe I'm just nervous is, is going into that situation with my wife. I don't know. Uh, something new for both of us. Maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's definitely something I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be a brand new experience for us as a couple. So we shall see awesome. where it goes. Someplace good. Yeah. Do uh, it. Yeah. I think only good things will come with Do it. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up for uh, episode 72. And um, we're going to do, we'll be right back with another episode we're doing two this week. So um, y'all stick around for episode 73. It's coming at you next. For Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you again very shortly. Brand for y'all. I slept in the car neath the blanket of stars till the early morn. When I reached for my car keys, I found what he'd left me the night before. In my front coat pocket on a keychain locket was a cross on the end of that chain. And I remembered his words like chapter and verse when I pulled away. I'm carrying a cross. It's the least I can do. He carried one for me. I can carry one too. Down the darkest road, I'll never get lost. Following the light, burning in the night, I'm carrying a cross. Following the light, burning in the night, I'm carrying a cross.